Praise God. I'm so happy to be with you all today and uh, thank God for his presence. Amen. And I just want to pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father God, you are a speaking God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Oh, God, give us ears to hear. Oh, Lord, take this sermon, Lord, and turn it into a message, Lord. A message, Lord, from your heart to every heart here. Speak, oh, Lord. Your servants are listening. Let us hear you tonight, God. Father, I pray that you would do the miracle, Lord, of speaking to every one of our hearts through this sermon, through this message, God. You have ordained, oh God, one of the ways that you speak to us, Lord, is through sermons, oh God. And I pray you would do that miracle again tonight, God. I pray that I would speak as an oracle of God. I pray that you, Lord, would have your way, God. We look to you. We call upon you. And we ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would be glorified, that you would minister to every heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, the title of my message is from Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Yes, this book does reveal future events, but more importantly, this book reveals Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Passion Translation in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says, This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And the next slide says, On the notes of the Passion Translation, the Greek noun apocalypsis is a compound word. It combines apo, which means to lift, with lipsis, which means veil, or covering, and so it could be translated the lifting of the veil or the unveiling. It is not primarily lifting the veil off coming events, but the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Amen. In chapter 19, John became so enamored with the visions of the future that the angel was showing to him. It says in chapter 19, verse 10. John said, I fell at his feet, the feet of the angel that was showing him these things. I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, the essence of, the spirit of, the heart of biblical prophecy is to testify of Jesus and make him known. Amen? When I was first saved as a teenager, I was eager to read this book about the end of the world. And as I read it, I saw it was, it was so mysterious. It was so strange. <laughs> 
But I noticed that in the end, we win. Christ and his kingdom and his people eventually conquer all evil. And then Revelation 21.3 will come to pass. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Amen? That's going to be a glorious day. But before we get to Revelation 21, there's quite a lot of turmoil in this book. Beasts and false prophets and plagues and death and famine and danger everywhere. A few weeks ago, I was driving from here to uh, Brooklyn Teen Challenge 416 Clinton Avenue, and I went through Flatbush in the middle of the day, Flatbush Avenue in the middle of Brooklyn in the middle of the day. Oh, my goodness. I was listening to the book of Revelation on my iPhone, my audio Bible, and it was so intense, and the traffic was so intense, I had to turn the Bible audio off. It was too much for my senses to handle. I was, I was hearing Revelation 13, 16, he, the beast, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You know, so overreaching has our government suddenly become, all of a sudden our government seems to be telling us what to do, what to think, what to believe, what to say, what not to say. And even they want to decide what is morally right and what is morally wrong. Dr. Michael Brown, who is a spirit-filled biblical scholar who is very solid, he recently said, it's very possible that we can see in our lifetime the soon and quick unfolding of the events written about in the book of Revelation. But the events in the book of Revelation are not as important as the revelation of Jesus Christ that is given to us through this book. So much so that God blesses everyone who reads this book and hears these verses. <laughs> Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hears the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it for the time is near. So let's look at Revelation 1.9. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Rikers. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I got that wrong. <laughs> it's on the island that's called Patmos. 
Patmos was a prison island. On the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John is very old here. He's been walking with the Lord for decades. And Domitian, the leader of the Roman Empire, according to church history, before this had had John arrested and threw him in a huge pot of boiling oil. And John was not harmed. And so Domitian banished him to a prison island. And let me tell you something about prison islands back in the Roman Empire. They were nothing like Rikers Island. You would be lucky if the rats didn't eat your toes off in the prisons in the Roman Empire. And John could have very easily gotten upset with God. Lord, I've served you all these many years, and now you mean to tell me at the end of my life I have to live in this prison? That's not what he did. Matter of fact, the next verse says, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the a to Z in the Greek alphabet. I'm the A to Z, the first and the last. In spite of John's horrible circumstances, he stayed in the Spirit. And when we stay in the Spirit, we can hear the voice of God loud and clear like a trumpet. And when he heard the voice of Jesus he turned around and he saw him. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet was like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, like Niagara Falls. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance... His face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I said, yo, what's up, Jesus? High five. How you been? <laughs> I mean, after all, he knew Jesus better than anybody else, probably. <laughs> probably as a teenager, he started following Jesus. He leaned upon Jesus at the Last Supper. Well, here he sees the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, so overwhelmed with the glory of this risen Savior. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold... I am alive forevermore. Woo I love that. 
I love that. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Anybody know that song? You're looking at me like, what? <laughs> Is he going to sing a sermon now? <laughs> I love that. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the first three things John sees about Jesus. Revelation 1.12 again. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. So we have three things that John sees first about the resurrected Jesus. Seven golden lampstands, a garment down to the feet, a golden band around his chest. I have a picture of what uh, probably similar to what John saw. These three things, seven golden lampstands, Garment down to the feet, a golden band around his chest. Now, to you and I, we'd be like, oh, okay, that's cool. But to John, let me tell you what John saw. Let me tell you what this meant to John. What is the, the, the first principle of solid hermeneutics of biblical interpretation? What did it mean to the original hearers? What did it mean to those who originally heard the word or saw the vision? Well, this is what it meant to John. Look at this. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. You shall make seven lamps for it. Aha. The tabernacle. Exodus 28, 4. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. So Matthew Henry's commentary says about this verse, He was girt about with a golden band, the breastplate of the high priest. Lang's commentary says, the garment of Christ, the long tolar, something in Hebrew I can't pronounce, reaching to the feet, denotes the high priest. This is a threefold confirmation. The lampstand, the long robe, the golden band, that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Now, that may not mean too much to us today, but to the Jews, it was very significant. Because in the Old Testament, God was not as accessible as he is today. Back in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, once a year, one person, for one time, could go into the presence of God could go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. That was the Day of Atonement. And only the high priest of Israel could go in. And the book of Hebrews teaches us that these Old Testament high priests would be themselves surrounded with weaknesses, 
so they could have compassion on other people. Hebrews 5, 2. He, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, in all things, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Let me tell you about our great high priest. We have a man in heaven. A resurrected man. There is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is a man in heaven. And when he walked this earth as a man, he went through everything every one of us will ever go through. So that now he can feel for us, he can sympathize with us, he can empathize with us, because he has already walked in our shoes. Yeah. Hebrews 4:14, 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. See the double negative? We do not have someone who cannot. What does that mean? It is impossible for Jesus not to be touched when you go through a hard time. It is impossible for Jesus not to feel the pain that you're feeling right now. It is impossible for him not to have compassion and empathy and sympathy for you and I. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because we have a great high priest like that in heaven, therefore, let's come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment, it's a throne of grace. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace who may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For the past few years, Jesus has been revealing himself to me as my great high priest, the glory of his compassionate face is eclipsing all the trials I'm going through. So it's essential to follow John's example. Even if we are confined, even if we're hemmed in, even if we're persecuted, even if we're afflicted, we need to stay in the Spirit so we can hear the Lord's voice loud and clear like a trumpet so that we too can see Jesus as our great, merciful, kind, sympathetic, powerful high priest. So Paul says to us in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We live in the spirit or in the flesh? We live in the spiritual primarily or the natural primarily? We live with a heavenly perspective or an earthly perspective? And the book of Revelation, if you want to go to the next slide, 
It's like watching two movies at one time. Both playing on the same screen. That's the book of Revelation in a, in a picture. Two movies at one time. On the top is the spirit. The heavenly view of the end of the world. In the bottom, the earthly view of the end of the world. <laughs> so here's a really important question. How do we stay in the spirit? And this is what I bring to you tonight. One of the main ways that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ can stay in the spirit is by singing to the Lord. I think every song had sing to the Lord in it. I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm on the right path. The brother who led me to Christ when I was 17, he was the assistant director of a faith-based drug rehab program in Tennessee, and he mentored me for the first couple of years of my Christian life. I mean, one day he picked me up from my job, and I was in the car going to the ministry center. He said, what's bothering you, Charles? I said, I'll tell you what's bothering me. I just love church. Why can't we go to church every day? Sunday to Sunday is way too long to wait. I miss the beautiful pews, the beautiful decor, the beautiful choir, the beautiful presence of God in our church. He pulled the car over on the side of the highway and stopped and looked at me. He said, so what, what's one of your favorite songs in church? I said, well, I like that song, Amazing Grace. He said, okay, let's close our eyes. Let's focus on the Lord. And let's you and me sing Amazing Grace with all of our hearts. Guess what? The presence of God filled the car. <laughs> I felt like I was back in church. And he said, the church building is not what is sacred. God does not inhabit church buildings. He inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. And then he said to me, so wherever we gather and worship him, his presence comes. And then he said, and whenever you sing to him from your heart, he will come there, too, in a special way and bless you. Oh, how those words changed my life. Ephesians 5.18, Paul said, do not be drunk with wine. I got something better than wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Where it says be filled with the Spirit, the Greek is literally be being continually filled. Be being continually filled by continually 
singing to the Lord. Hallelujah. Psalm 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Yes, you got it. <laughs> with singing. In 2 Kings verse chapter 3, two good kings, a good and an evil king, came to the prophet Elijah to get a word from the Lord. And it says, Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now, bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord. That, my friend, is why we start every church service with music and with singing. So we will get into the spirit. So that we will get into the presence of the Lord. Because he inhabits our praises. Amen? But more than that, when I wake up in the morning, I don't try to jump out of bed too quick. I try to lay there for a minute and think, if God has placed a song in my heart, if I wake up and I begin to flow with it and begin to sing that song, nothing gets me into the presence of God faster. David declared, the Lord has put a new song in my mouth. He said, the Lord surrounds me with songs of deliverance. In the book of Job, Elihu, he was the younger guy. He wasn't one of the three guys who said uh, the wrong things. He was a younger guy who said right things to Job. <clears throat> when speaking about the oppression on this earth, Elihu wondered why more of us humans don't avail ourselves with the help that heaven gives in the form of songs. Job 35.9, because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? God gives songs in the night. And when the brother who led me to Christ told me, God doesn't inhabit church buildings. He inhabits the praises of his people. He added, and you, Charles, every time you sing to the Lord from your heart, God will come and bless you. I took those words to heart, and I began singing to the Lord. Hallelujah. God, my maker, has given me songs in the night. You know how many night seasons I've been through? I've gotten a brand new song every six months for the past 43 years. <laughs> Some people are doing the math. Oh, man, that's a lot of songs. It just so happens the latest song 
that God gave me goes well with this sermon. And I said, Lord, please, you're not going to make me end this sermon with a song. You know, I don't have a professional voice. And maybe you don't either. But don't you dare let that stop you from singing to the Lord. Singing to the Lord is one of the main ways to stay in the spirit. And my goodness, we need to stay in the spirit. I mean, you can stay with CNN all day, but I'll tell you why. You're not going to stay in the spirit. <laughs> Amen? It will not give you a heavenly perspective. And you're like, oh, man, I just, I just can't wait. I just run to church and get to the presence of God. You can run to the presence of God every morning. Hallelujah. So I, I kind of wrestled with the Lord. I, I said, well, Lord. If they sing about singing tonight, I'll do it. And I think every song was like, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. Okay. <laughs> My wife and I, when we were engaged, we went to the Bronx Botanical Gardens. I jumped up on this uh, big uh, rock. I said, hey, Lynn, listen to this song God just gave me. And I just belted out this song. <laughs> She's like, Interesting. And afterwards, I said, what do you think about the song? She said, well, the, the words or the delivery? <laughs> yeah. She said the words were awesome. She said, but you sing like you think you can sing. <laughs> But you know, the way our society is going, we might, we might be thrown into jail one of these days for preaching the word, right, Pastor? Look at Acts 16, 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were, at midnight, in the jail. They had just been beaten. They were beaten with rods. Rods, what is that? Like baseball bats. They were beaten with baseball bats. They were beaten with baseball bats. This was no joke. These guys were in pain. These guys were hurting. At midnight, they got up and they got mad and they fought and they cursed God. And they, no. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. <laughs> and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chain was loose. If they throw us into jail in the near future, I hope you have a song in your heart. If you go to a prison or island for the testimony of Jesus Christ, I hope you stay in the spirit. And one of the main ways to stay in the spirit is to sing boldly the song of the Lord. So, here goes. <laughs> this is called 
as you sing. And I think I have the words up there. Uh, there's a blank one. And, okay, here we go. Praise God. I said, Lord, what if I get up there and I don't sing well? Yeah, that was it. That was it. He said that will encourage everybody who doesn't sing well. Hey, this is win-win. If I do great, you've been like, oh, man, that was great. Right? If I do terrible, uh, I could do that. <laughs> Hallelujah. I may just, like, you know, close my eyes and sing it to Jesus, if you guys don't mind. <laughs> Thank you.